0: And I look down and I see my son washing the feet of the elderly women getting ready to go into the diabetes clinic. And it just caught me off guard. And I was like, that is the man I'm trying to raise. You know, like that's the man I want to send into the
1: world. Amy Carney wants to help parents reclaim leadership, make the tough decisions and parent today with tomorrow in mind. She's our guest on this episode of Win This Year. Drugs and alcohol. Bullying. Unhealthy relationships. Depression.
2: Internet safety. Substance use. Body image. Self-injury. Suicide. Anxiety.
1: Social media.
2: Kids. Pre-teens. Parenting. Middle school. High school. Adolescents.
1: Teens. Coping skills.
2: Self-care. Relationships. Strategies. Life skills. Prevention. Solutions. Help.
0: Hope.
1: Leadership. Insight. Information. Inspiration. You're listening to Win This Year, the official podcast of Not My Kid, A prevention nonprofit focused on inspiring positive life choices by helping kids, parents, families, and those who work with youth. Informative. Interesting. Inspiring. Win This Year. Welcome to Win This Year. I'm Shane Watson, Public Information Officer and Prevention Specialist for Not My Kid. Parent, author, and public speaker Amy Carney joins us today. But first, Win This Year is brought to you by First Check. First Check home drug tests help you protect loved ones from the risks of drug abuse. First Check is the number one pharmacist-recommended brand. It detects up to 14 illicit and prescription drugs and provides over 99% accurate, easy-to-read results in just five minutes, all in the privacy of your home. Go to firstcheckfamily.com and use code WINTHISYEAR to save on your order. As mentioned earlier, Amy Carney is joining us today, but before we speak with Amy, we have a co-host who, if you have listened to prior episodes of Win This Year, she will be familiar to you. Just two episodes ago, Geronda Montano joined us, but if you haven't heard her episode, I'm going to let her introduce herself.
2: Well, I am excited to be co-hosting today. I am the chief programs officer here at Not My Kid and I have been with the organization about four years, and this is just an exciting adventure to be on with Win This Year.
1: Amy Carney is a parent, writer, leadership parent, and coach, speaker, and author of the book, Parent on Purpose A Courageous Approach to Raising Children in a Complicated World. She joins us now on Win This Year. Amy, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: And when I say that you are a parent, I mean, you are a parent of five kids. You are on rock star level. She has four. And yet somehow, as a parent of five kids, a professional speaker, an author, all those things that you're doing, you're still finding time to do all of that. And you're wanting to equip parents to be able to do the same. And there's some strategies involved with that that we're gonna be talking about here in a little bit. Exactly. But before we get into that, I, I would like to talk about how you got started doing all of this. In your book, it starts at really early on, you mentioned a decision that really changed things for your family and a trip that resulted. Would you please tell us about that and how it came about?
0: Um, sure. So in about five years ago, 2014, my husband and I um, decided to pull out of life because we, have, we were raising four kids at the time and just chaotic. Um, my husband was traveling for work all the time, and all I spent my time doing was running the kids around making sure they you know had everything done and I was surviving motherhood basically um and we got to the point where uh one night I slid in uh last second as the lights went down at one of my son's uh musical performances and I just sat there and tears ran down my face and I'm like this is not what I thought having kids in a family was going to be like what what is going on and we ne- I knew we needed a change so uh, my husband agreed he quit his job he was coaching with the Chicago Blackhawks and um We bought an RV, and we pulled the kids out of, they were going into sixth and seventh grade, and we just traveled around the entire U.S. for seven months.
1: Wow. Wow. That is (laughs) a drastic change. Very
0: drastic, considering we never camped a day in our lives. So it was just, we knew we needed um, to pull away from everything we were so involved in and just take a break and figure out what in the world do we want our family to look like, and how do we want to be raising our kids
1: and what did you find out on that trip? What did you decide to change or do differently? How did that trip change your family?
0: Oh my gosh! It changed. It's it dramatically changed us. For the um, we had no play in our lives. That's one thing we realized. We didn't have any margin in our in our family in our lives to actually just be and to be together and to have um, just playful moments to be outdoors. Um, we spend so much time overscheduling our kids, and so we cut back on that. It's not to say that. They didn't jump right back into some of their activities. I mean, that's part of culture today and and they enjoy it. Um, And and we enjoy part of that as well. But we really um, cut back on all of those scheduled activities and tried to create more margin in our family for family time and to live out our values.
1: You mentioned overscheduling. That's something that I think is very well intentioned. A lot of parents do that. They want to get their children in activities and extracurriculars and things like that. What well intentioned things such as that might we as parents be doing uh, that might be hindering our kids more than helping? How are we overparenting?
0: Well, sometimes we um, we just get caught up in culture and what everyone else is doing, so we think that our kids need to be doing all of these things um, if we're a good parent, right? And our kids sometimes want to do these things, uh, but they end up overtaking our family narrative, and so we had to slow down and kind of redefine success in our family and in our home. And that's what I challenge people to do is um, is really to slow down and redefine what success means to you. And then I bet it's not all these things that you're doing. I mean, to raise a top soccer player, even though that's what we spend the majority of our time doing, that's probably not our end goal. And so I, t- I challenge people to claim their end goal and then figure out how they can still raise a soccer player, but also take the time to instill really important values.
2: You said that your kids did... Go back to some of the activities yes. that they had before, but what have you noticed in the way that they've responded to that sort of—I'll call it—a pause?
0: <laughs> well, you know what—they—they um, they were nervous about taking that time off, um, for sure, because they're—they're um, they're high-achieving kids, and they—they they knew there were going to be consequences to that time, in which there absolutely were consequences to that time. Um, there always are when we make courageous decisions in our life. But um, we, when we got back, we—we we decided maybe that. Some of our athletic kids would take lower, um, go on lower teams than they were capable of doing, um, which is a hard decision to make, you know, when you're talented and, and, but to create margin in their lives, that's what we've had to do is allow them to go on, um, you know, maybe the third team instead of the first team, um, that type of thing. But it's a really hard thing to do as a parent and for the child to accept that. um, But you see, they're so much happier because they still get to play a sport, but they have more time to be with their friends or you know, with their family and it's not as stressful. So
2: I love that term margin that you keep using. It just reminds me of being a kid, writing on a piece of paper and getting to the edge of the paper and knowing I need to go to the next line. But if I need a little more, I can put a couple of letters over. You have that margin. room you have in that your room. life.
0: Yes. Right, right. And that's yeah. what I think we're, we're missing. And that's what's happening is the kids are so stressed um, today and we're stressed as parents. Yes. Um, and, and that's exactly how we were living um, in and not that you have to jump in an RV and go around the country, because I don't even know if I recommend that um, necessarily, but I um, mean, you do need to slow down maybe and just um, redefine if you're living out your values in the way you want to be raising your family.
1: I think one thing that stands out to me is the activities that your kids return to. It sounds like they propelled themselves back into those activities. And that's a big difference as a parent. I meet a lot of kids that are in activities that their parents want them to do. Right. When I talk to them and I ask them, do you want to do that? Well, I think so. Mm-hmm. And you, you can see in the body language and the facial expressions, maybe not. And so I think that's good that you allowed them to return to what they wanted to return mm-hmm. to, but it was their choice. You were giving them that autonomy. And I know that you are really big in that autonomy for preteens, for teens. Why is that so important? And how do we, we give them that autonomy in their lives?
0: Well, that was one thing before we left on that trip. The kid, My triplets were um, 12 and my daughter was 11. And I was a good mother. Like, I was doing everything and I had everything. And I realized on that trip that they were going to be teenagers when we returned home and that they were going to need to learn to do these things for themselves. Um, and so when I was reading articles and... I'm looking ahead reading books how to raise an adult and these different things it really hit me that that's my role now I mean as they come become teenagers is to prepare them for the launch and I can still be a good mother (laughs) you know and um step back and allow them to to struggle a little and to to learn how to do things for themselves and it's it's been amazing watching them take over their entire lives I mean you know the triplets are seniors in high school now and in the mornings, I, I don't have to do anything for any of the five kids because they can, you know, do for themselves their daily routine, and that that frees me up to work and to be there to communicate with them and to you know to love on them in a different way than just serving them, you know, constantly. So
1: so delegating those tasks that are age appropriate. We, we I mentioned in your intro that you do all these things, but somehow you're able to do those things and still maintain that balance. What are some things that when we're talking about kids at the high school level, you mentioned having Mm -hmm. seniors, what are we doing as parents for our kids that we need to stop doing and let them take over by the time they're in high school?
0: Yeah. Well, I wrote a a blog post a couple years ago that went crazy viral on stop doing these eight things for your teens this school year. And it was very controversial um, because I said things like stop waking your child in the morning, start having them use an alarm clock, not their cell phone because we don't need smartphones in the bedrooms, but- Use old school alarm clock and start letting them learn how to, when they want to wake up and get themselves up and then let them be late for school once in a while. If, I mean, if that's, if they're not getting up with their alarm and let them feel the pain of being late to that class or whatever. So that would that's one I always start with because that's an easy one. They can do that when they're younger. Um, start filling out their own paperwork. I mean, that's a pain. That's if having five kids, right? All that pa- paperwork comes home. <laughs> Um, but at a young age, start sitting with them and, have you know, letting them start learning how to fill all that out when they go to doctor's appointments, when they have their, you know, sports forms online, you know, sit alongside them um, when they're younger, you know, teach them how to do that. And by the end, um, when they go to get their driver's license, they're, you know, they're fine filling all that out. Or when they go to apply for jobs as teens, they know how to do all that and they're confident. And that's the whole point is, to, is so that they gain confidence to do these things for themselves.
1: I like that natural consequences are part of that lesson. And it's consequences that are inconvenient, they're uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but they're not going to ruin the rest of their lives. You miss a day of school, you learn really quickly, I don't like this. Right. I have to make up this work, and especially with you having seniors, they're about to be in college. Yeah. Nobody's going to be waking you up for school in college or yeah. certainly when you enter into the work world.
0: Exactly. So we've got to teach them that early though. You know, we don't want to be trying to teach that for when they're when they're gone and out of our homes and on a college campus. We don't want to be worrying if our child is getting up in the morning or not. We want to know that we've given them those skills when they were in our home, and then the outcome is on them, right? I mean, the outcome is not ours when they move out. We've taught them what we the best we could, and then hopefully they will get themselves up and out the door, you know, as young adults.
2: I'll say my kids use an alarm clock. And oh, good! <laughs> this morning uh, they set <laughs> it an hour later because they had it set for the weekend. Uh. And so I heard the door fly open. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's an hour later. It's still plenty of time to get ready for school, but they're used to their routine. And so they were like, oh, my goodness, I'm late. I'm late. Right. But the difference is you're not running in. You're exactly. late. You're late. Exactly. Right.
0: And so it's them owning that and letting them fail in that once in a while. And it's hard. You know, it's hard sitting out there. Do I go in? Do I not? You know, Um but just knowing your goals to and claiming those goals all the time I think is important and knowing that we're trying to all raise, you know, competent adults. And that is, to me, our
1: role. When did we cross over? Is there an era that you can look at where we moved from kids playing outside, kids went to the park by themselves and came out when the streetlights came on, like mm-hmm. there were those built-in things? Can you look at an era and say when we began over-parenting or trying to be too protective or trying to to do too much? And how did that come into play? Is there something we can look at and point to that?
0: Well, whenever I um, interview experts for my articles, they, they seem to all usually say about eight years ago, they've really seen a shift. Eight to 10 years ago, they've seen this shift um, in uh, young adults not being confident or not um, having problem-solving skills or coming into their, you know their college campuses or into the workforce without a set of life skills that you know, we used to have. And so I I tend to always think back to my childhood and how I was raised. And I'm sure like you, I mean, you, 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 my mom wasn't waking me in the morning, you know, she she gave me a lot of autonomy. And, um and that was really good for me. You know, it served served me well, and she allowed me to make mistakes and fail. So I think about how did my mom raise me um, to be a, a, a confident, hardworking person. And I think about that when I raise my own.
1: Self-care is another thing that's become really talked about when it comes to behavioral health or mental health in recent mm-hmm. years, and a lot of times we talk about the importance of self-care for us as adults. How can we model that for our kids or how can we teach that to our kids because that's equally as important and I know you believe this mm-hmm. for children as well teens, preteens, et cetera.
0: Well, I talk to my kids a lot about because they've got screens. they're always in front of screens um, and unfortunately, that's the world they're growing up in. but I preach a lot in my home about solitude like, there's got to be screen-free space in your life, in, in your home, you know, and um, creating solitude for you just to be with yourself and to think and to, um, you know, develop coping skills for yourself when things go wrong that you just don't turn to a phone or to a video game, um, you know, medicate yourself in some way. Like you, we've got to allow them space to get comfortable with being lonely, um, being by themselves, being being with their own thoughts. And so I think that's that's a big thing that, that – um, we can start to do is is creating screen-free space in their lives.
1: There was a family that I, I met through our Project Rewind program who said um, they realized that there was going to be about a month period where they couldn't do the normal family dinner time they were going to be doing. So they recognized their window of opportunity was driving their daughter to and from sports practice. So it was like going to be a 15-minute car ride to and from sports practice. So they said, you know what? We're going to make this drive phone free. And they said the first time that we asked our 16-year-old daughter to put her phone away... You would have thought we had dipped her in boiling oil. That's the exact <laughs> phrase this dad used. And even though she made it uncomfortable for them, and a lot of parents relent at that point, because it's uncomfortable, and they say, okay, yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm, they stuck right. with it. They were diplomatic. They were gent- gentle with it, but they said, no, we're going we're gonna to do this. They told me that they did that on subsequent car rides, and they noticed with each subsequent time, her reaction was less extreme. Mm-hmm. They said about a month and a half into it, she began self-regulating her device use more, And they said about three months into it, they noticed her anxiety decreased. Uh And they realized that at least a portion of her anxiety came from the constant. And and I mean, they said constant device use. And that's something that we not only need to teach our kids about, we have to be modeling that as well. We have to regulate our use in front of them as well. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And I think that's the thing you touched on is that parents, we have to be bold enough to, when our kids aren't happy that we're taking the phone away for a 15 minute drive, it's okay. Right, we know our purpose and we know why we're doing this. I mean, our children need us to to do that once in a while to help them with boundaries, creating this space in their lives. And so, so so many times we worry because they're not happy with us. Okay, my my mom was not worried about yep. if I w- was happy with her, and I think we need to get back to that a little. Um, we're trying. I think the problem is we want to be in closer relationship with our kids than we were with our parents. Um, so we've gone overboard. Um, and we, and, and it's easy to do in the moment. And that's why I encourage parents to slow down and claim those end goals. And if you, if you know, you need more time with your child communicating, well, how are you going to create that and be bold enough to do it when your daughter is is fighting you on it? Of course, she's going to fight you, right? Of course, they're not going to be happy. It's okay. It's for a purpose. I mean, one of our sons, we just had to go to a flip phone for him because he wasn't managing it well. And so we have to help him. You think he's happy? No. You know what though? But. He's not really asking for it back, you know. After a few weeks, I think maybe he's seeing it's so much easier for him, and it's it, it. And so it's that's a very bold decision. And and when I went into AT and T to do it, he goes, more and more parents are doing this, and more and more need to do it.
1: That's awesome. So I'm happy to hear about that because. That's one thing where I know parents part of what makes them uncomfortable choosing to give their child a flip phone is their child comes back and says I'm the only one in the class without a smartphone. Yeah. I've had 6th grade parents tell me, you know, my daughter's so upset she's the only one in the 6th grade without a smartphone. And one of the the lessons we have to instill to our kids is just because everybody else is doing right. something doesn't mean it's necessarily the right thing for us. But you hit on the fact that it feels like we're almost some people are trying to be more their child's friend yes. than their child's parent.
0: Right. And there's a fine line there. I mean, yeah. So we 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 need to be the parent. Our kids only have one mom, one dad. And so um, we've got to be brave enough to be that parent, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't feel good when our child isn't happy with us. I I And it's hard for me, for the child that has the flip phone, because I can't get a hold of him like I used to you know, or, or, or different things, but it's okay. It's for a period. It's for, um, helping him give him the best, um, tools that, that we can while he's in our home. And so we're, and then we, what I also see is that it helps other parents be brave. Um, so when we make brave choices, other parents look at it and say, you can do that. Well, maybe I can do that too, because I really want to do that for my child.
1: Um. Any culture shift has to start with a brave person Mm. making a courageous but uncomfortable choice. I've noticed that in any group setting, like when we go and we speak to groups and we pitch a question out to the audience, there's always hesitation until that brave first person raises their hand, but then you see number two, three, four, and five shoot up very quickly after that. We might have to be that brave pioneer parent to do that thing. I know that one of the things that you believe in is starting with the end goal in mind and kind of reverse engineering from there. What should And you've already touched on this a little bit, but what should our end goal be? What is the final thing that we're trying to achieve as parents?
0: Well, when I think about um, my children as 18, 19-year-olds you know, walking out the door of my home, I think about who they are as a person uh, more than I think about what they're doing. And I think that's where we're going wrong a little is that we're focusing so much on what they're doing. Um, as they're growing up and, and not building up the character traits and the values um, to develop that person, you know, who we want them to become and who the world needs them to be, to be, you know? Um, and so if we can flip that mindset and think about who we want them to become, do we want them to be empathetic young adults? Yes, we do. <laughs> so how are we going to teach empathy, um, you know, when they're younger and, and authentically build that in them um, and not just serve out in our community to, you know to to check that off our list and to put it onto our resume. But how do we really, you know, put, make that be a part of who they are and, and develop their heart? So um, I, I try and, I know that even in the schools they're in, it's so pressuring. The culture around them is pressuring, whether my husband and I are or not. They're getting so much pressure in the schools that when they come home, I really want to, um, you know, downplay that a little bit and let them rest in our home and um, focus more on values and relationships
1: You mentioned values, relationships, rest, disconnecting, things like that. And you talked earlier about prioritizing play. As a matter of fact, there's a chapter in your book that's Mm -hmm. dedicated to prioritizing play. It feels like societally that we've gotten away from that. How do we get back to that as families who are very busy and we're so task-focused and checklist-focused? How do we work play back into our lives?
0: Right. And it can be hard to do because like us during the school year is very busy when the kids are older and they have work and they've got, you know, activities and sports. And so we really um, mindfully plan our summers that we don't send our kids to any um, any camps or anything that have to do with what they're doing all year long. We actually send them away to sleep away summer camp for a couple weeks um, since they turned 13. We to be uncomfortable to go live in the woods with people you don't know. I mean, we send them to a camp where they would know no one. Um, on purpose, and learn to be uncomfortable and to learn to be without your phone in nature. And then um, family vacations now, we're very mindful about not just planning entertaining vacations. We um, go and serve and do mission trips or we um, go go to the KOA up in Williams and just decompress. And I always say, I always look out for places that we can vacation that has like terrible Wi-Fi. Like if you go on the reviews and they're like, oh, this is terrible, terrible Wi-Fi. I'm like, that's perfect.
1: It's, it's like, a selling yeah. point. Yeah, it's a
0: selling point for me because I know we'll better better connect and there will be games played around the table or the kids will decompress if we purposely seek out these types of, you know,
1: environments. I think that's really good because life isn't entertaining all the time. Right. And that's one, one of the lessons we try to instill, especially in our early intervention program, Project Rewind whether they're trying to sustain that constant dopamine release through a drug or whether they're doing that through device use yes. that's gotten out of balance, that isn't life. Mm-hmm. A lot of life, no disrespect, Geronda, work isn't always exciting. <laughs> no. I love you, but you know that's not the reality of life. No. Life no, is not, not constant entertainment. And- yeah. It's, I view it like eating dessert before eating dinner. You have that dessert. You set that standard in your mind and in your neurotransmitters that I'm going to sustain this level of excitement and dopamine release, and you get out there in the world, and you right. find out that's not how it works.
0: Exactly, exactly. We, we've expected our kids to get jobs when they're of working age in restaurants because it's hard. It's not easy, um, and it's exactly that. Like it's Life is hard, and earning money can be hard, but they're learning so many skills and working with... With all generations of people and income levels, and um i it's it's just been awesome, but do they want to get up at six in the morning on a Saturday to go work at the breakfast restaurant no they they do not, but um I just see it developing that character um that I hope that they'll go into the world with
1: one of the areas that you connected um prioritizing play with is you actually connected it in your book to dinner time. Mm-hmm we're really big advocates of that. We talk about the Casa Colombia annual study on the importance of of family dinners. And uh, what would your response be uh, or your suggestion be for parents? Because I sometimes hear this. We don't have time for that. We don't have time for dinner. We don't have time for those family activities. What would your response be as someone who is very busy yourself?
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, I I don't have time, but I make time. I, I prioritize that. And it doesn't mean that it's going to happen every week or every, I would love every Sunday night um, to, to be that. That's probably all, all five, you know, all seven of us can really be together. Um, But if, if it can't be at night, then you can do it on Saturday morning breakfast. Or, I mean, you, you can find, if you can't find that time, then you really need to slow down and, and find that time. Because what we don't want is getting to the end of this, launching the kids. And then I'm finding so many parents having regret and guilt um, because they didn't, do the family dinners or do this simple connective points in their family and they want to now, but it's too late. Um, so we are all living in busy lives. We're all living in busy homes, um, but we've got to f- prioritize um, time together around the table whenever that might be. And, and it's hard. It is hard to do.
2: Amy, when you're around the table with your seven, yeah. do you have a favorite game or a favorite something that you all like to do?
0: We have um, conversation starters on every table, Um, and so that's our, our youngest son, um, who, who adopted out of the foster care system three years ago, he loves that. So he will go around and ask us all questions. And so, um, it's either that, or we like left, center, right, but now the kids want to play that with money. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, but, uh, when you have kids of different ages or different levels, it can be hard to find something that fits, um, everyone, but, Really, talking as a family is big for me. I want us communicating. I want us to be able to come to each other, be Absolutely. authentic. Um, but if we don't make that time together, it's not. It's not going to happen. And before the RV trip, that's it. We weren't making time. We weren't eating together. We weren't getting to church together. What? We weren't together. And Maybe we were together, but we weren't. You know, we, we were sitting on the sidelines of of the kids' lives. Um, so we were kind of together on that sports field, but. Um, so we've got to prioritize it. If that's if we want it, then we we got to figure it out and cut some things out um, in order to, to get it.
1: You mentioned conversation starters, one that we incorporated in our family years ago. It's one of Geronda's six suggestions she gave in a Huffington Post interview, is asking your child two questions every day. What was your favorite thing about today? What was your least favorite thing about today? We started this with our daughter, who's now six and a half. We started when she was two and a half. It's become so normal, and we've stuck with it so consistently that when she's pulling up her chair for dinner, she's already answering two questions nobody's even asked. Love it, and it's something I I encourage parents all the time. The earlier and the more consistently you can implement something, the more normal it becomes. Whereas with a high school senior, when you go to try to do it for the first time, it doesn't mean don't do it. It's going to take a whole lot more work.
0: For sure, if you haven't created the habit. That's what I say. you got to, you know, kind of create the habit. And we were doing that when they were younger, the same type of question. And then I, we switched it actually and started talking about how we failed. How did you fail today? And you know, how did you didn't fail today? Why not? Or, you know, so to change that, to make that, um, cause that's what I'm trying to do, right. Is help them problem solve and, and be okay with making mistakes. So we started making that a positive conversation around the dinner table. And then they were trying to outdo each other who failed the worst. Or, you, know, <laughs> so, um, you know, so it's fun because once you start the habit, you can tweak it to yeah. whatever you're trying to teach at the time. And it's just, um, that's my favorite time is when we can find that time, grab that time, you know, an hour, two hours together around the table. And um, to me, that's, that's what I wanted my family to be like.
1: I love the reframing of how did you fail as a positive question. We've become so afraid to fail and it's something, it's part of life. I mean, some of the most uncomfortable experiences in my life taught me more than anything else I've ever learned from my successes. Right. I didn't enjoy them. Some no, of them I certainly no. don't want to repeat, no. but there was a, a value and there was a lesson in that.
0: Right. And I think when they can hear mom and dad accept that too and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did this today. You know, so um, they see that we're human too, right? And that that we make mistakes. And um, so- That's, that's fun. Or we talk about, right. Or we talk about how did you bless someone today? How did you, who did you help today? And you know, and what, what opportunity did you miss that? And so that's whatever value you're trying to teach. That's how you can bring it into conversation and make it come alive.
1: You talk about service just now. How'd you serve someone today? How'd you bless someone today? Another thing I love in Parent on Purpose as far as reframing is you reframe what it means to be successful. You know, we live in such a performance-driven culture where kids feel like they have to be the biggest, the strongest, the richest, et cetera, and you connect success to sincerity, empathy, and service. How do we get our kids to view those things as success when the world around them is constantly defining success as something very different.
0: Right. Well, that's another thing. We decided to prioritize volunteering as a family in the community. And we were we were going to St. Vincent de Paul, to the family dining room when the kids were young because they allow families to come together. Um, and so we were making that a habit. Once a month we, we would do that. And then we moved to Kitchen on the Street or um, different local communities. And then, like I said, when they became teenagers, we started taking different type of vacations um, and showing them that we wanted to walk our talk. We want to um, spend our time and our money and our resources giving back to others. and um we talk all the time about what a privilege it is <laughs> how we live. and not everyone gets this and um and if we don't carve out opportunities to show our kids that, not just talk about it right, but take them and and um let them experience the people that that's makes all the difference in the in the world for me. um so I I, I always show in my presentations, there uh, two photos. So I have my hockey-playing son who's going off to actually follow in his dad's footsteps, and that's awesome, and he's a good student, and, um, and I have a photo of that. And then I have a photo of him on a mission trip we were at on uh, the Yucatan, and I walk through, and I look down, and I see my son washing the feet of the elderly women getting ready to go into the diabetes clinic, mm. and it just caught me off guard and I was like that is the man I'm trying to raise you know like that's the man I want to send into the world great that he's a great hockey player and I hope that that serves him well but that man on the ground um I get, get chose just talking about it every time that's that's who I'm trying to raise and that's um, the man I'm trying to send into the world but it, it comes at a sacrifice to us too right we're not at Disney World we're, we're doing that and it's hard work and it's a lot of money and um it's a sacrifice for our family but Um, I also know we've just made it part of who we are as a family, serving others. And we, like I said, we um, did foster care for several years um, and we adopted out of the foster care system. And so we live every day, um, you know, serving, serving this little guy. And it's, it's been an amazing thing to not not just serve out there, but to actually bring it into our home. Um, And we, we had people come in through in and out of our home, um, you know, that are in need, small needs and big needs.
1: I think an important part of that is that you're modeling it for them. It's not just lip service. It's not just words. You're out there doing it yourself, because I I, I feel like I mean I know for a fact kids are going to look at our actions mm. a, as much as our words, if not more so. Right. And I think modeling the behaviors that you want them to live as you did is absolutely crucial.
0: Yeah, I, I agree, especially in the in this culture um, today. And we and we can, so we we should, and that's how how we all should be living, right? Helping. Helping how, however we can, whoever we can, um, and and so I want that to be who we are as a family, not just what we did.
1: That's a big part for my myself as someone who's in long term recovery. As a matter of fact, next week will be eight years sober. Awesome. When you go and you serve others, there's such a value to it in multiple ways. There's so many facets to it. And and one of, it, one of the things is that it gives you perspective. I notice that if I think I'm having a bad day or I'm having a difficult week or something like that, and I go and I serve someone else and I get out of my own head and my own problems, it puts into perspective what my problems really are. And I can walk back with that Fresh view and say this really isn't that big of a deal either. So it helps kids be able to put in perspective how small often our problems actually are.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And if it, 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 all this, it feels good to help others and to give back. Um, and so it helps that the person you're serving, and it and it helps helps us who who are, you know are the ones serving. So I, that's that's my focus. That's my heart. Um, and I hope that that's the heart of our family. And I hope that I send adults into the world that continue that.
1: Another chapter I wanted to ask you about is disconnect to reconnect, um, maintaining that technological balance. Uh, I've met some parents who go to one extreme or the other. They feel like they can't contain it, they can't control it, so they're going to just outlaw it entirely. They're going to cut away that technology out of their child's life, which is not a, a great you know, option. On the other end, I know parents that um, – feel like they can't keep up with it. It's beyond them. And so they just kind of have thrown their hands up and said, you know, here you go. Here's your smartphone. How do we maintain that balance? What are some things that you advise that parents do or not do in order to allow kids to disconnect to reconnect?
0: Yeah, for sure. And I I see the exact same thing as you. So what I encourage parents to do is to make up a mindful media plan, I call it. And that's looking at the end. Um, And I always say, look six years ahead. So what, you know, whatever that is, and then decide if they, what you're going to allow them to have. And there's always got to be boundaries on it because what we want to teach them is um, to self-regulate. And that's the hardest part is how do we give them this device or, you know, um, this media and ask them to self-regulate. And so um, for us, we we knew when we were on the RV trip, they did not have smartphones. We knew that we planned to give them at 14. Um, and that was just what we had decided. And it was hard because I think we were like the last ones standing. And we had teachers actually calling us um, when, the, when the boys were in eighth grade. I remember calling and saying, um, you're the only one, your son's are the only ones without phones and like I'm trying to teach on phone. So it's hard. It's very difficult to make these decisions as parents. But we st- stuck our ground, said I'd bring in an old iPad they could use or whatever. Um, too many times we're giving in to, well, everyone else has it. Everyone else is doing it. Why wouldn't I do it? And then... The devices in their hands and they're struggling, right? Because um, the biggest thing is parents need to educate themselves. Constantly educate. I'm constantly educating myself um, because things are always changing and evolving. And I, I am that parent. If all this could be gone, and my, I I would love that (laughs) for my kids. Um, This is very hard to manage, and it's very hard for them, um, you know, to teach them. But I'm big on education. Follow. um, I follow Screenagers. I work with them. It's a documentary. Um, sign up for different emails that email you weekly with tips and tell you what's going on. Um, and make that mindful media plan that you're not going to just hand it all over and then let it, you know, turn a blind eye because you, we can't. But yet, then again, like you said, we can't monitor it all, you know, when they're 16, 17, 18. We need to give them the freedom to make mistakes on it, too, to to learn. And, and it's a constant conversation in our home. I mean, it, this ta- it takes effort. If we're gonna hand over these devices, it's gonna take effort.
1: I like the awareness piece too. We have to educate ourselves on what's out there. There was a study done uh, a number of years ago where parents were asked, how many social media sites is your teen on? And the average answer from parents was two. (laughs) So they then asked the teens belonging to those parents, how many social media sites are you on? The average answer was seven. Mm. And it's hard for us to prevent problems or intervene in problems in a place that we don't even know exists. Right. And I, I noticed recently when we posted and we educated a little bit on the TikTok app on right. our, our Not My Kid Facebook, The we, I think it was shared 150 times, and I'm seeing so many of the reactions to it. And I have parents commenting, I didn't even know this thing existed. Yes. Right. And it, it feels overwhelming to try to keep up with it. But what I like, what Geronda really advocates is – While the source of the problem, whether it's a new drug, whether it's a new app, et cetera, may change, the solutions, fortunately, will largely remain the same. And so many of them are in your book. So many of those proactive solutions, and we will link, by the way, in the show notes to amycarney.com so that people can get the book, they can keep up with your blog, et cetera. Anything else, either one of you would like to add, any encouragement or suggestions you'd like to include for parents?
0: Well, I just always say it's never too late because people could be listening to this who have seniors, you know, in high school and they're like, well, I missed that, you know, and it's too late. It's never too late. I say, sit down tonight and just talk with your child and say, you know what? I might've missed the boat on some of these things or I I don't know. And just say, let's start over tomorrow. Let's, I don't know, tackle whatever area you need to, you know, tackle. Sit down with next to your son and look at their device with them. They're not going to want you to, but I do that all the time. I'll sit. And I'm like, you know, show me what's going on. What's the latest app? What's what? What are you going on there? And and we can have authentic conversation about it. But I think too many people feel like, oh, it's too late. I missed it. And I would never. I don't agree with that. I mean, if if you didn't create the habits around the dinner table, it's okay. You can create a different one, right? So,
1: while it takes more work, it doesn't mean it can't happen. We can still right. come in later and do it. Geronda, anything else you'd like to add?
2: I just want to say it's so inspiring listening to you. You know, to know that you are giving this information to other parents, that parents can come together as a community and know that they're not the only ones either. No one gets an instruction manual okay. with your kids. And even if you did, every kid is different. Even yes. if And the kids even living in your home, each one of the, them is different. So I really appreciate your contribution to just that community of people called parents and families. Well, thank and you. It, it truly is inspiring to hear that it's okay to slow down. It's okay to to have some margin in their Mm. lives. And, And it's okay to not, if you didn't do that when they were toddlers or in the first grade or sixth grade, if they're seniors, go ahead. Yeah, Have that conversation now. I love that. Absolutely love that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Amy. Oh, thank you.
1: Two rock star parents, Amy Carney, (laughs) Gerona Montano. Once again, the book is Parent on Purpose. You can find the book, read Amy's blog, watch clips of some of her interviews, and contact Amy at amycarney.com. As always, we'll be sure to include that link in the show notes as well. Thank you so much to both of you for your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And as always on Win This Year, we want to give you three resources. If you are struggling with thoughts of suicide or you are helping someone who is, there is help, there is hope, there are resources available. Number one is the Suicide Prevention Lifeline. You can reach them by calling 1-800-273-8255. That spells out 1-800-273-TALK. Teen Lifeline can be reached at 1-800-248-8336. That spells out 1-800-248-TEEN, T-E-E-N. And the crisis text line can be reached by texting the word LISTEN to 741741. If you are going through a difficult experience, I want to encourage you. There is hope. Things can get better, but it is important to reach out and to ask for help. And for those of you who are noticing someone who is struggling, it is important that we reach out and we help them that we start the conversation and we let them know we care and we will help. Thanks once again to our guest, Amy Carney, and our co-host, Geronda Montano. If you've enjoyed this episode, if you enjoy Win This Year, please be sure to subscribe, share, and spread the word. Win This Year can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and nearly every other mainstream podcast outlet. If you have questions or concerns, would like to suggest a guest or topic for a future episode, email us at notmykid.org. That's notmykid.org. As always, all links mentioned in this episode will be in the show notes, along with all the links for Not My Kid social media. I'm Shane Watson, Public Information Officer and Prevention Specialist for Not My Kid. Thank you again for listening to Win This Year.